0: Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study.
1: come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life, the We started uh, in 2 Samuel, so we're in 2 Samuel. We just went through the first, uh, well, the majority of the first chapter. As uh, we kind of had watched, remember how Saul ended up trying to take his own life. So remember how he tried to kill himself. He tried to, you know, thrust himself through, you know, like fall on his spear and stuff. And as sometimes our attempts to do away with our ourselves or our problems, it doesn't quite go that easily. And it didn't go that easily for him either, did it? You know, he, he tried to thrust himself through, but then ultimately it ended up that he uh, was taken by an Amalekite. Ultimately, this guy comes along and finds him there and and uh, talks to him and, and he says, man, just, just do me in, put me out, man. Put me out of my misery and just do me in. And then we talked about the kind of in typology, you know, how this represents something and that ultimately the Am- an Amalekite or the Amalekites were a type of the flesh. And, and I think it's so true that, you know, he wasn't, you know, and for our terms, you know, the flesh just means our, our, our desires for the things that please us, that we want to do to fix ourselves or that we want to do for us that, that are, you know, self-fulfilling things for us that we think are going to meet our needs but really ultimately don't. And so that's the flesh, the, the, the drive of the flesh, you know, that, that's just within us. And so Saul didn't, he was told to go and remember utterly, absolutely, that was his instruction was to wipe out the Amalekites, completely destroy the Amalekites. And yet we saw what happened. He did not. The kingdom got pulled from him ultimately because he was not willing to follow through with the instructions. You see, I look at that very similar to our lives. We've got the instructions in front of us. And the Lord tells us, hey, add this to your life, take that out of your life. You know, do this, don't do that. You know, he gives us fair instructions about our lives and how we're to live and stuff. But the, the tragedy is if we don't, you know, because in the New Testament, Paul's you know, vantage point and how he would describe it, is that he would say, "Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires," and so to to actually put it to death. That's that's those things that are just self fulfillment, those things that satisfy self satisfaction, those things that drive within us. And it's because of our sin nature that we have it. We're all born into this. Nobody's any different. Some of ours are a little more blatant and plain than others, and some of them are a little more discreet than others. But we've all got that same. DNA is, spiritually speaking, built into every one of us. We're all the same that way. But ultimately, if we don't acknowledge through Jesus Christ that those things have been put to death on the cross, if we don't acknowledge it, ultimately those things can nip at our lives and chew at our lives and ultimately pull us down and away from the things and the purpose that God really has for our lives. That's what happened with Saul. Ultimately, it was, you know, there is no, it is ironic, but there's no coincidence with God. We know that, right? And ultimately, what did we see that happened? An Amalekite was what did him in. The flesh that he was supposed to utterly destroy, he did not, and ultimately it destroyed him. And isn't that true with our lives? That's true with my life or anybody's life. If, if we don't deal with it, then it's going to deal with us. <laughs> you know, it's just the end result. That's kind of where we left off in some of our thoughts. Saul's uh, dead now. David, you remember, he was anointed to be king, but you know Saul, he was originally supposed to be king, but he lost his right to that, but was still reigning as king, right? And so there's this kind of battle zone that goes on, but remember, between David and Saul, and they're just fighting it out, fighting it out, fighting it out all the time, because Saul was trying to pursue David. Now, David did him no harm, David still had respect for him as the anointed king. He had respect because of God. He had respect for him as the anointed king. So ultimately, as, as David realizes that Saul's been killed, that this Amalekite had killed uh, the Lord's anointed, he, the Amalekite ends up getting killed. And then David writes this, this song, basically, from verse 17 uh, through 27. And it's just a song. All it, all it is is he's just writing about really... Some of the positive accomplishments, if you're willing to use those kind of terms, the positive accomplishments that, that Saul had wrought. I, I just I think it's worth just noting that that was David's heart towards Saul. That there's a lot of things that we can find wrong with a lot of different people and a lot of different stuff, but man, at least I love David's heart in this that he had a, a good, healthy view. You know, even though Saul was really kind of a, 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 really a horrible person toward him, but he still had the right view in the Lord of how God might have used him from time to time, and, and he just tried to leave it at that. He just tried to look at him kind of graciously and just left it at that. So now we pick it up in, in uh, chapter 2. It happened after that, after all that had gone down, That David inquired of the Lord. And you remember the last parts of, you know, chapter 27, chapter 28, and chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, when we were kind of wrapping this up, getting close to Saul's life ending. And you remember how David had made, you know, this, uh, if I were to take those three studies and kind of put them together in a grouping, it would have been like, whose voice are you listening to? You know, it's kind of the way that went. Because you remember, David made inquiry with himself. Remember first. Remember he, he, he talked, he, he let his own mind help him figure everything out, and it turned to complete disaster. Remember then Saul, remember how Saul then went and inquired of the medium, this witch in Endor. You remember that? So he's, got, you know, so he's making inquiries of the darkness. David's just talking to himself about how things, and both ended up in just total disastrous messes. And then finally David gets to this point where he starts making inquiry of the Lord again. He starts interacting directly with God. And that's our place. You know, we want to interact directly with God. So this is, again, he's in the right play frame of mind now. He's thinking right about his circumstances. He said, man, I'm going to make inquiry. So it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? So he is, remember, again, in typology, he is... He is the, in line. You know, Jesus is going to come through. The Messiah is going to come through his lineage. So, and you remember, Jesus is what? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So here we have Judah shows up. He's, what cities, Judah, you know, should I go to? He's of that lineage. Should I go up to any of the cities? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And then David said, well, Where shall I go up? You know, wh- wh- where am I supposed to go? And he said, To Hebron. Now, to me, in any kind of, I'm, I'm, I like direct communication, so I'm kind of wondering, like, why did the Lord just tell them, hey, listen, just go on up to Hebron. You know, why did they go through this process like that? You know, why wouldn't the Lord just tell them, hey, just get out on up to Hebron, get there, go there. But I love the way, because if we know the heart of the Lord, if you turn real quickly to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, good little uh, thing tucked away in here for us to remember in our interaction with the Lord. James, if you hit Peter, you've gone too far. James chapter four, you lust and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and then it says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on yourselves. This this is an interesting little thing, tucked away as James, you, You do not have because you do not ask. And then when you do ask, you're not asking from the right place in your heart. You're only wanting it for yourself. And see, David's not doing that, is it? David's asking... And he's asking for right reasons, and the Lord's interacting very directly with him, isn't he? I think this is important for us to, to know. If we ask, if we talk to the Lord, God's going to respond to us. Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to, uh, to David, go up. Now, you would have think he could have just said the whole spiel there, but he doesn't. He just says, go up. Why? What is the point in this? The Lord wants to interact with you and with me. I've told you this before, with with my mom, when she was alive, I I would send her an email, and she would never respond to my emails. And sometimes I would see email trails that she would key me in on, maybe on some kind of business thing she was doing or something, and I'd see her emailing back and forth because I'd be in the loop on this. But I'd send her something, she'd never email me back. like, gosh, you know, and then finally the lights come on. She wants to talk to me she wants to hear my she my mom wanted to hear from jimmy that was just the way it rolled she didn't want and see god's like that with us god wants to hear from us god wants to interact with you and me it's you see it's not monologue in relationship it's dialogue that he wants to have he doesn't want to just monologue at you and he doesn't want you just monologuing at him you know, he wants to dialogue with us, and so he gives David a little bit, but that leaves him kind of, well, okay, so yeah, I'm supposed to go up, but go up and do what? I love how the revelation kind of peels back, pieces at a time, but it's it's based on interaction, isn't it? He asked a question, God gave him an answer. He asked a further question, God gave him an answer. I think the same is true with us. God will continue to do that, but God knows his willingness. David's certainly willing. He desires to go up. He wants... He's making inquiry. It's for the right reason. He's interested. I just thought that was something we wanted to cite, just getting in, getting started. That man, his heart's right. He's pursuing the things of the Lord. Because as we go through these next several chapters, one of the things we find out is David is a man with many failures or places of faltering. Right? He multiplied wives. He did. He had several wives. Right? We know that's not something that the Lord would want. We we know that you know he he was a liar. He lied. You know, we know that for sure. We've, we've gone to study through that. Adultery, absolutely, 100%. He's a part of that. And yet, he's spoken of as a man after God's own heart. Now, that doesn't, see, God never said in his word that he, David was a perfect guy, but he's a man after. He's in pursuit of the things of the Lord. God knows the heart. And I caught this one thing on this, and I really liked this thought on this was that there's so many things that we can read through and you can pick apart and be all negative about other people and how they're doing this and they're not doing that right and this is wrong and that's wrong, this and that, and we can do that with David because he's got plenty to pick apart. But also maybe we ought to look at and not compare our failures with his failures or our strengths with his failures. Maybe we ought to look at all that he did do in the Lord and look at what we're doing. Maybe we ought to flip that around a little bit and look at say, hey, am I really pursuing after the Lord? He might have messed a lot of stuff up, but man, the guy was pedal to the floor pursuing after God every chance he could. Some stuff got messed up, a little carnage on the way, but he was still after the things of the Lord. I think that's good. I think it's good to remember because that is gracious. That's a gracious approach. Wouldn't you want that to be viewed, you know, someone to view you in that heart? You know, that's the way God views us. He knows that we're going to mess some stuff up. He knows we're not going to always do everything just right. But he doesn't base his love or his favor on that. It's grace, unmerited love and favor. It's undeserved. He just loves us and accepts us just as we are. I think this is just a great thought as it's right there in front of us as we're seeing. Hey, man, he was somebody that was pursuing the things of the Lord, even though some stuff got messed up from time to time. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitis and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up uh, the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. So they end up, they move up in there to kind of take over that area. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king. This is, again, another time, this is like the third time they've anointed him as king. You know, this happened kind of a few different times over the whole house of Judah. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. And so David sent messengers to, to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kind of... They're not necessarily part of this group of, of people that he's running with. They're not necessarily part of his, his band of people that he's running with at all. And yet he acknowledges that they had done something right in the Lord. And he acknowledges that. He says, you are blessed of the Lord. You have shown this kindness to to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay this kindness because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant for your master Saul is dead. And also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So I think it's just kind of a great thing to see that he's willing to honor others that maybe aren't of the same exact thing that he's doing. You know, I, I think it's good for us to see the body of Christ larger than you know just our fellowship or our church or the church that we run with specifically, that God's, the kingdom is so much bigger than that. Now that, to me, doesn't mean you know, it's just this uh, willy-nilly thing, you know, and that we should just embrace every wind of doctrine. Obvi- obviously, I wouldn't uh, teach that or agree with that. But I also know that, man, there's, when good things are being done in the kingdom, it's good to, you know, acknowledge it, you know, and, and say, hey, that's great. And, you know, drop a line to somebody and say, man, that's, that, that's really good. We do a lot of things that in- cause us to interact with a lot of different people, and I think that's healthy for us. I think it's good for us to do that. I think it's a, a, a good thing. Now we get into some things where the the war, the kingdom gets split into, uh, and it, the beginnings of that those issues anyway. And Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, Ishbosheth. What a um, this guy's a, a mess. The son of Saul, and brought him over Maanim. And he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and basically over all of Israel. So now Israel and Judah have two different rulers over them. Saul's son, Ishbosheth, now has been his anointed ruler, and then you've got uh, David over here as as ruler over Judah. Ishbosheth, Saul's uh, son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So this is, it's very. Cut and dry between the two. So Abner was a cousin to Saul. So there's a bloodline there. Um, there's some job security issues that could be at stake. You know, he's been busy fighting against David, right? And so now maybe there could be some issues here. How's this going to really work if we all... But. Abner clearly knows that David is anointed, is supposed to be king. This was not some top secret thing. This was known through, amongst the kingdom. But so he's kind of trying to hang on to things, and kind of this scene gets pretty messy in this next several verses. And the time that, that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now, Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from manam to gibeon and joab the son of zirah and the servants of david went out and met them by the pool of gibeon it's just and really it's a it's like a small lake area it's not like a swimming pool so you kind of get the right picture here and they sat down one on one side of the lake or pool and one on the other side of the lake or pool abner said to joab let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So they're going to kind of pull out their weapons. And they took, uh, went over by number, uh, 12 from Benjamin, followers of ish the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Uh, therefore, that place is called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. So, there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and, and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of the Lord. So, now, he is warring, and this is causing them, these are all God's people, and yet they're killing each other now. It, it, it's, it's a tr- real serious tragedy, and kind of a good thing in word pictures for us to look at and see how, how, what a bummer it is to have conflict unnecessarily like this. And now the three sons of Jiriab, uh were there, Joab, Abishai, and uh, Asiel. And Asiel was at the feet of, uh, has, was, had feet. His feet, he was real fast. He ran like a gazelle. That's the bottom line to it. And so Asiel pursued Abner. And in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, uh, are you Asael? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or turn uh, to your left and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asael would not turn aside from following. He was after him. And Abner said to Asael, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? Now then, how then could I face your brother, Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck struck him down, struck him in the stomach with the end of the spear, so that the spear came out of his back, and he fell there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to that place where Asiel fell and died stood still. So, real, you know, this guy's just—he's killed. He wipes him out. This is again this whole interaction with uh, what was happening with um, Abner. And how he's fighting and going into all this stuff with him and, and battling. It was just a, a real sign of what's going on with the... Uh, he's yielded, really, to something uh, going against God's purpose and God's leader. You know, he's, he's fighting with that. And, you know, this is, this is what happens when we take something and are going against God's purpose and God's, God's plan. We start fighting against it, and it really, it's like God's eternal plan for us, and how many people resist the love of God. And they start warring and fighting against that, and it causes us a lot of decay in a lot of different ways in our lives. We end up battling, with, we're fighting the, the people that are really our own you know, countrymen, basically, and all this stuff in, in the spirit, it's really horrible what is happening or being revealed. He starts, uh, and obviously... Um, it's, it's a family thing. It's, it's caused him to yield to, uh, to fight and to get into things because he was Saul's cousin. I mean, what else, he didn't, what else is he going to do, kind of? Now, if he goes with David, what's the other family members going to think? You know, I don't know if you remember going through any of this or working through this. What are other people going to think when I give, if I give my life to the Lord, if I start following Jesus you know, this is kind of, for us in typology, it's that same kind of vantage point. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if I start doing that? I mean, what am I going to do? Is, am I going to lose my job over this? Am I going to, you know, what, what's going to happen to me? All these kind of things are, are starting to play out. So Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amma, which is before Gia, by the road of the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on the top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? So Abner is now calling out to Joab because this whole thing just breaks out into this big war between David's men and you know uh, Abner's guys, and they're just they're just going at it. And it's just it's it's horrible what happens. And actually, Abner is just is in this spot where he keeps losing battles. He, he's he's fighting, but he's losing the battle. Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Maybe listening to the message today, God was speaking to your heart, here's an opportunity for you to just pray a simple prayer of faith. And just ask Jesus to come into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior. Just Pray along with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin. I want to be born again, and I want to follow you. I want to ask that your Holy Spirit would come into my life, and that you would use me from this day forward for your glory and for your purpose. In Jesus'
0: name, amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Calvary Chapel KC. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountain.